morning. Man, I've missed you. I've been gone for two Sundays. And uh, two weeks ago, I was in Fernley, and then last week, I was in Elko, so just the riches of Nevada, and uh, figuring it all out, seeing it all. And you know that we're a part of a bigger family. We're a part of a family of churches, as well as the global church. Uh, but as Livingstone's churches, we're, we're a part of six total campuses, right? One is kind of up and just budding. That's the Fernley one. And it's just, it's awesome to be part of something where you just can go into different cities and see what God is doing in our family of churches. And two weeks ago in Fernley, it's a, it's a brand new Living Stones that's rising up. And, and we're part of that. We're supporting that. We're, we've sent money. And Tim Abina, who's been a part of the Sparks Church, moved there two years ago and has been uh, multiplying community groups. And then in October, we, a little... Uh, budding congregation uh, that, that was around 20, 25 people. And then this two Sundays ago was like 80, 70, 80 people plus kids. It's amazing. In just a short amount of time. Yeah, that's right. And, and you're, you're a part of that. You're doing that. And so, and we're sending our elders, we're sending people to serve. We're, we're, we're all in when we're invested there. Tim Abina is a part of our staff every Monday and, um, and so, like, you're playing a major part in church planting in, a, in an area that needs a new church. And so, God's doing it, and we're a part of it. And two weeks ago, Taylor, um, our, uh, stu- our student discipleship or student group um, deacon, as well as um, communications, other things, works full-time here in the staff. He went, he preached, he threw some heat from the mound. And uh, it was incredible. It was awesome to be part of it. And uh, by the way, Super Bowl's over and baseball illustrations are in. So that's, you're going to get a lot of that. That came up in the first service. We did a lot of that. All right. Um, and so, and then last week I was at Elko. And uh, man, I've only been to Elko for prime rib once. And that was because I was driving through and it was like $7 prime rib. All right. And uh, so I did that. But this is the first time I ever like hung out there. And part of the Elko Church, and uh, you know they they have three services in a small little sanctuary that seats like 150 people, and uh, 500 people showed up last weekend. They're lining up on the walls. They're literally having to tell people there's no room for you. The fire department will not allow you to come into this building. Um, they're like shoehorning people in. Um, it's incredible. They're they they're having to say no to something like 20 to 30 people a week who want to show up to church and meet Jesus, and they literally have to turn them away. They're in the middle of a three-year building project, and uh, by God's grace, hopefully that'll be coming to a close real soon. You're a part of that. That's happening in Elko, right? And, um, and it's amazing what God's, and they're so alive, and they're full of the Spirit, and they're like, you could say any joke, they laugh. I mean, those people out there are amazing. <laughs> They're amazing. That's because there's no Target. There's no Costco. They're just like something from the mainland, you know? And so, but they're amazing. And they're like, Patrick Nathan's doing such a good job. And we're a part of that out there. And, um, and it was just incredible to see. And, and here's what happened. I preached three services out there. And then we did a training. I was there all day long. It was such a great day. But I ran into people who would say, when we come into town or we come into Reno, uh, when we want civilization and Chick-fil-A, we come in. And... Um, and they go, you know, we love coming by the Sparks Church because the Sparks Church is warm and welcoming. It's like a family out there. And I was just like so full of pride. I was like, those are my people. I love these people. And um, just to hear their testimony of 
what it's like for them to come to our church. And, and so every church has its strengths and it's doing amazing things and God's growing us all and we're part of a big thing. And so um, just wanted to, to give some vision and just say thank you for, for being a part of all that, as well as giving time for you to text questions. We want you to text questions in and we, we have some questions that we're going to answer, but if there's questions specific to this room, we want to get to those because we're all in this room together, not just kind of questions that have been raised over the week, but we're going we're gonna to start it out. And here's the point. Uh, Q&As are good. There, maybe you came this morning and you're like, man, I really wanted a sermon and I really wanted to be punched in the face by the Bible or something like that. Um, here's the thing. Do you know the Bible is written because Christians had questions, Right? And so the whole New Testament is the church going, hey, we don't know, we're trying to make sense of all of this in our real life. Can you help us? And then the apostles are writing letters and they're encouraging the church with questions. And many of you are in a, a searching after Jesus and a lot of you have met Jesus and you're a mature Christian, but you remember when you were asking questions. And, um, and so this morning, as pastors in the church, we get to kind of be a little more transparent, and you get to ask questions, and we're going to do that via the text versus like raising our hands, you know, because that gets weird. And so um, you're going to text in your questions, and, um, and, and here, I want to just get the mind flowing real quick by just briefing us on where we've been on the attributes of God. Week one, we were in God's independence, that God's self-sufficiency that God has always existed, but I actually like the double negative, even though it's not good English. God has never not existed. He's never not existed. He exists by his own nature. We need him to exist, but he does not need anything, and including us, to exist. The next attribute we talked about was God's transcendence, God's bigness, God's otherness, and that the God who is here, or the God who is there, can only be understood in the God first who is out there who would make himself here. And so it means that we have to know this God that cannot be contained in heaven or on earth. He's greater than anything. We have God Almighty, God All-Powerful, that his nature is strong. There's two, there, there's two conflicts uh, for many people who are seeking after, after Jesus. One is, is God strong enough? Maybe the things in my life or the things in our world exist because God is not strong enough. Like, like the coronavirus just sweeping through China. Is God not strong enough? Or if you think God is strong enough, maybe you think God is not loving enough. And God Almighty is that both those things are false. He is absolutely strong and he uses his power with great, great love. Um, and so we walked through God Almighty. Then we looked at God All-Knowing. That God knows all things intimately about your life and everything. And the big idea is that God knows every possibility, meaning that what exists, exists because it's the best. A world in which it exists in the way it does is part of the best world in order to bring glory to God and for us to know God. And then the next one was God everywhere. What I love about this is we know that we can't escape from God's presence, but if God is everywhere, God can't escape from our presence. That's powerful. And he doesn't want to. He has sent Jesus to be of us, to be with us, to bring us back into relationship with his everywhereness. And then lastly, it was God unchanging. God never learns, never develops, never matures, never degrades, never grows a dad bod, like all of those things. God is unchanging. He absolutely does not change. <laughs> All right, we're just making stuff up now. All right, and, but here's the thing. To move from doubt to assurance takes something steady and unchanging. 
And the reason why we can have the full riches, Paul says in Colossians, the full riches of our assurance of faith is because God does not move and God never changes. So those are the attributes. This morning, we welcome any questions regarding the attributes and any questions, uh, uh, any other questions you might have. And we'll, we'll walk through some attributes and then we'll see where it goes. And they'll be on the screen and we're going to try to answer them. And let's play stump a pastor. All right. So here we go. We ready? That's a big question. Okay. First question. If God is unchanging, why did he flood the earth in the time of Noah and then change his mind? Or in 2 Samuel, when he relented and did not destroy Israel, he seemed to realize he shouldn't have done it or that, even though he knows all. Who wants to take that? One of you? Yeah, That's an easy one, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so... And then I'll give you a couple more examples in case you guys didn't think of that. Uh, (laughs) uh, So it seems like God changes his mind when he tells Adam and Eve, if you take of this fruit, you will surely die. And seemingly they don't die right away. They die, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later. And then there's also that time with Moses when the people of God have sinned against God. And God basically is like, hey, Moses, I'm going to wipe all these people out and start fresh with you. And Moses advocates with God to not do that. So again, two more examples of does God change? That second Samuel one is when uh, David actually takes a survey and to see if he has enough um, people in his army to take out some other armies. And God just, uh, he kills 70,000 people. And, uh, then he ter- seems to turn his direction towards Jerusalem to destroy it. And yet again, uh, David actually makes a sacrifice and God says it changes his mind, really. And he doesn't destroy Jerusalem. So what the heck is going on here? Um, I would say a lot of those examples and all those examples is really God showing his mercy over his wrath. So instead of displaying one attribute, and he's not changing. He's actually choosing to display um, his mercy and grace onto those people. Uh, but the real reason why is we're, a big display of that is we're seeing an attribute of God's patience in all of those stories. A, a, a letting um, his wrath be um, like held back because one day he's going to pour his wrath down on his son. And so it's really a staying, a, a mercy of staying up his wrath. So like one day he, he doesn't display his wrath here because he displays his wrath on his son later. So here he can actually display his mercy and grace. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. He doesn't change. He just waits. He waits. Yeah, yes. Patience. Good. But it's also, yeah, he's not changing. He's, his wrath does get poured out. That's right. It does come. It comes fully onto Christ. Yeah, that's good. And I think uh, um, connected to that is this idea of God's God's attribute and time and being in, right? He's transcendent. He's bigger. He's bigger than anything that exists. And we think of time. Time is not just minutes and seconds and hours, but time is the sequence of events, right? And so for God to be outside of time, it means that he doesn't experience the sequence of events like we experience. So we have this great big God who is transcendent out of time, trying to relate himself and his um, and his will and his understanding in terms that humans can understand, right? He's trying to reveal himself. So it's anthropomorphic. It's, it's God's infinite nature and non-sequential um, existence trying to make himself relatable 
um, and to reveal himself to humanity. So he's going to use terms that humans understand in order for us to know what it's like to relate to a transcendent God. And so God doesn't experience change because he doesn't experience sequence of events, right? That's something that we do inside creation. And if he's outside of that time and he's outside of those events, then he's not changing his mind at all, but he is revealing himself in time through human language, which is the only way for him to reveal himself to us. He couldn't reveal himself into some kind of like God language because we don't speak that language, right? And so he has to reveal himself in a way that makes sense to us. And I think there's a, there's a great example of this is that in light of that, there's a decretive will of God, a will in which God decrees what will be. And then there's a general will of God, which is a, a will of his desire. So I'll give you an example of, of what feels like changing. First Timothy says, God desires that all would be saved by Jesus, right? Um, yet we know all aren't saved by Jesus. So is that a problem in the will of God? Does he change his mind? And the answer is no, is that God decrees that some will be saved and, and some will not be saved, right? He has a general desire that all would come to him, but not everybody comes to him. That's a general will. And then he has a decretive will in which all, whatever he decrees always comes to pass. And, um, and relating those in time is a part of how God reveals himself in human language. So he uses things like, I relent, or I digress, or I wish I didn't create people, you know, things like that, like normal introverts. So, yeah. That makes sense? That's just a deep joke. Well, just see like, if you guys are awake. It's also like in the garden where uh, he asks Adam and Eve, where are you? It's like, well, God knows where they are. He's condescending in relationship to like connect with them. That's right. That's good. All right. Next. All of these sermons have been very eye-opening to me about how I did, should, and do think about God. And through all of this, I've been diving deeper and deeper into my prayer, but I can't tell if he's responding. I can't tell if he is speaking to me. And sometimes I think I'm seeing signs from him, but how do I differentiate between these things and know if he is responding to me? It's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and really, it's, it's going to be different person to person because God is not a robot in the sense that he deals with all people in the exact same way. There's some people that hear the voice of God audibly, and they know that God is responding to them. Uh, there's some people that go their whole lives, and they're, they're begging God to give them something, and they never really hear from God. And, and I think that what we do um, that's, that's helpful is we press on when, in faith, uh, knowing because God said, I will never leave or forsake you, we press on. And, and knowing that uh, the Spirit of God hears our prayers before we even utter them. The Bible says, and so like we we go through it, and and there may be times when when it's a, a guidance versus a smack in the face. Uh, it may be times when it's a, a gentle, uh, calming presence, as opposed to an angel of light standing in front of you. Which uh, the Bible says, like uh, Jesus actually said this. He was talking about people who who didn't believe. He said, even if I were to send a person of light and stand them in front of them, these people probably still wouldn't believe. Uh, and so for each of us, it's different. There, there's some of us who even, we feel the presence of God 
And we're like, I, be- I believe, there- and there's nothing else. I've seen the wonderful things God has done in my life. And there's other of us, it-, it takes our whole lives to recognize even the small things that God has done for us, yet and still, he's still faithful uh, and never changes in any of that. And so our response is continue in faith and press on. Um, and differentiate how he's responding to me sounds, I mean, and this isn't to, to sound mean. It almost sounds kind of like um, uh, egotistical, if you will, as if God has to respond to us. I mean, and I, I say that, and it sounds harsh coming out. God doesn't have to, but he chooses to display his love in that. And so how he chooses to display his love is, is completely up to him because he knows exactly what it is that you need um, in the best possible scenario. And so I don't mean to say that harshly, but it is like God doesn't bow to us. I, and hopefully I'm saying that the right way. God doesn't bow to us. We come to the Lord and worship, and how he re- responds is how we take it. And, and we take it with grace and, and thankfulness. So Yeah, that's good. I, I would only add, I, I do like, this should be the question of all of us, like how do we hear from God and how do we know when he's communicating to us? Um, the, one of the most ridiculous things we can do as Christians is read a Bible verse, put our Bible down, and ask the Lord to speak to us. Mm. Um, he speaks on every page of this book. And so if you want to hear him speak, like read your Bible. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to hear the voice of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, there you go. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but so, also, like, God always answers prayers. Like, he's going to answer yes, no, or not right now. Yeah. So just keep asking, though. Keep asking. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, if, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, he's responding to you. Yeah. Right? Just by his presence is a response, you know? Um, it's, like that, it's like that quote is, uh, I think it was John Piper who said, if you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible out loud. Yeah. Right? Because that's... That's it. That's what God's voice would sound like, you know. And so um, I think we, we devalue the, the Bible sometimes. We're like, well, I want something other than that. But there are other things. And that is, is I think if, there's, if there is a, a natural thing coming up in you where you're like, man, I just love Jesus and I want to be with Jesus and I want to be with God's people and I want to be in the Bible and I'm not perfect at it but you have this desire you just can't shake, that's God responding to you. That's a gift of faith that he's giving you. And just your desire to be present and be with the church and be here and be in the word and be in prayer and grow as a Christian is God answering prayer. It may not even be a prayer that you're asking. And that's, sometimes we ask prayers and we want to waste on our own desires, but God's doing a deeper work. And like in, in Romans, that'd be a great example is that sometimes, uh, thank God that God answers the prayers of the Holy Spirit that's praying on our behalf and not always our own, you know? And, uh, and, and he's responding, not only are you praying, but the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And he's answering both. And the great thing is the Holy Spirit knows how to pray. So, yeah, that's good. Awesome. All right. If God created all things, who made him? Yeah, good question. Next question. No, I'm just... <laughs> this one's good. I mean, this one is somewhat philosophical and, um, and faith. I mean, just trusting the word of God. How would you guys answer that? Uh, if, if anything created God, that would be God. Um, so, because so... God's, God's the only uncaused cause. He's the only uncreated creator. Um, so he, the, the characteristic of him being eternal means before anything was, he was. Um, so n- no one created God. 
And this is a good one, too, to kind of watch out for with other, oh, man, I want to be careful how I say this. Other, other, faith, other faith thoughts that say Christ was created. So we see the scripture where it says Christ is, is the one who created. And then, they, and then people say, well, Christ must have been created himself. And they, they go through these mental hoop-de-hoops trying to, trying to prove their own theology. Um, no. <laughs> Christ, Christ is. Uh, he, he shares in the same uh, immutability of God. There, there's nothing that's ever changed about him um, other than coming in the flesh. Uh, but his character, his nature has never changed. And so uh, he was with God the Father from eternity past and will continue to be with the Father for eternity well into the future. Um, and so I think, I think in this, there's, there's a way for some, some false uh, theological thoughts to come in and infiltrate. And so if, if Christ is created, uh, then he's, he's not God. And, and if Christ is not God, then he has no power to save. He has no power to rise himself up from the grave. He has no power to come back for his bride. And so now our whole faith begins to fall apart. And so yeah. I think we got to be careful with that stuff too. And the yeah. whole, in the beginning, God, like the beginning of Genesis. So yeah. before there was, there was God. And if that's the beginning of the story, that, that's the beginning of the story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, I think um, what you said in the previous service was good is that if whatever created God, that would be who we should worship. Right. It wouldn't make sense, you know, to worship a created thing. You'd want to go to the source, you know. Um, and then you have this assumption in the scripture. So it's both like philosophical, like you can be like, uh, cosmo cosmological argument, teleological argument, you know, ontological argument, like, you know, we can get all like uh, philosophy 101 up in here. Um, and those are good arguments for their philosophy. But at the end of the day, there are things about God that we must receive in faith. And that for whatever reason, probably because we can't comprehend the idea that there was never a moment in which God did not exist. I mean, if you try to think about that moment, your brain will explode out of the back of your head. You know, you're like, God's always existed. What? You know, how? how? You know, and, um, and, and it's, it's crazy to think that. But, a, but if uh, God would have to be necessary for all of existence, here's what John 1 says. John 1 says that nothing was made that was not made by Jesus, Right? which means it would have to include himself. If Jesus was made, how does a thing who's necessary to exist in order to be made make everything, right? Including himself. Um, so the statement that we receive in faith is that Jesus always was. The Bible assumes that in the beginning, God, meaning in the beginning of time, God had already existed and as a necessary being, he, he necessarily must exist. Um, how that all comes together, just, I don't know. You have an aneurysm. And uh, trying to think about it, but we receive it in faith because the Bible gives it to us as well as uh, you can make philosophical arguments for it. And so it's a, it's a both end in that sense. But there is no day as a Christian that the idea of God always existing will somehow just make sense and you'll be fine with it. We must receive some things in faith and that's how God designed it. And I think it's okay to wrestle with it, yeah. too. Like it's, it's okay to to sit down and say, man, I, this might be a sticky point for me. Yeah. But diving, diving into the word, uh, allowing God to breathe on your face and say, no, I just am. Um, and that's who I, who, I, who I am. That's good. In the view of the Israelites of the Exodus, God repeatedly declares that he will make Pharaoh stubborn. And then as a consequence for Pharaoh's stubbornness, God sends suffering and death on Egyptian people 
and animals, not just Pharaoh. While this demonstrates God's omnipotence, where is his love? How is God not responsible for evil by causing Pharaoh to reject him? All right. Okay. Is it lunch? It's getting kind of late now. Great question. Really good question. Any of you? So I think, I think, um, I think at the heart of this question, especially like the number one, I think what we run into is our definition of love versus God's definition of love. And so now, now we have this cultural thing on what does it mean to love? And, you know, you could, you could debate this, and, and people have debated it for centuries. Uh, God is not like us, therefore doesn't share our definition of what love is. For God, displaying his power to his people is the greatest act of love that he could, he could show. Showing his people, I am powerful over all things, including the Egyptian gods who think they control everything. I'm going to display my power. If you, if you look at uh, all of those uh, plagues that God sent to Egypt, they were all power over a particular God that Egypt held to. And so each one, he was, he was debunking uh, Egyptology and saying, no, I am. And, and so 10 times he says, no, I am, I am, I am. And all, all of his people, the, the people that, he, that uh, Moses was sent there to redeem, are, are praising God saying, Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. How, how I, I think it's a great display of love uh, that he's having for his people. Kind of sucks for Pharaoh. Um, but if you, if you read Romans 9, it says that God intentionally raised Pharaoh up for this very particular purpose so that God could display his power to his people. And so it's, it, it seems harsh to us uh, in the same way that we would, we would see our lives right now and say, why... Does my, uh, why does my five-year-old have cancer? And our response as those who worship Christ is to the glory of God. Um, and how God uses that is, is up to him. But man, I, I think it's a great display of love, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think, the, I think the, the, the starting point for where is his love, when we wrestle with it, we're typically making us the starting point of love. We're, we're making, um, we're elevating ourselves. I, one of the answers is where is the love? Um, it it's on himself. I know black eyed peas. I knew you were going to do it. I, I, I just set that one up. I knew it. Yeah. Uh, so where is the love? It's on himself. So we got to first realize that God's greatest affection, which is why His affection comes our way, is that it's for Himself first. And God is not egotistic in His love because um, if, if He is as we've seen the attributes, utterly perfect. There's no disqualifying factor. There's no malice. There's no, um, th- there's no evil intention. And so therefore, for him to love himself fully first is for our greatest good. Because if he didn't love his own glory, we would get nothing from him. But because he loved his own glory, he sent Jesus, right? That was the, the whole idea is, um, that when Jesus was on the cross, and there's popular worship songs about this, but when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't first foremost thinking of you and me. He was thinking of God. He was thinking of his Father in heaven. God, the Trinity loves each other with a perfect love, and because of that love, it comes down as affection and salvation for us. So where, where's the love? It's on himself. He loves himself fully, and because of that, then all things are out of that love. And whatever decisions, even though it, may, it makes no sense to us, and it hurts. It hurts us 
relationally to think of Pharaoh and to think of, well, what choice did he have and all of that. And, and, and that's where we go, no, God is loving. God is all these attributes that we've been studying. Therefore, we can trust that God knows what he's doing in people. And we can trust that God knows what he's doing in the world. Uh, but his love, first and foremost, is on himself. And he invites us to love him as he loves himself. I, I would add to, like, let's take that story and don't, don't look at individual characters. Let's look at the whole um, narrative and say God is showing his love to his people there. So Israel is being shown grace as God's enemies are being shown a curse. And, and so as Christians, we don't read this and, and call ourselves Pharaoh. We're, we're Pharaoh before Christ, but in Christ, we're, the, we're, the, uh, we're Israel, we're receiving the blessing um, as um, God's enemy receives the curse. But apart from Christ, we are Pharaoh, um, which is why it's important. Like, if you do not stand with Christ, you stand with Pharaoh and the rejection of God. But with Christ, his love is on display for you. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, it talks about God's like, I love Israel. I'm gonna, I will destroy cities for them. I will destroy countries for them. I will destroy nations for them. And, and the, that love is, is your love in Christ. Yeah, that's 100% right, yeah. Yeah, and I think, it, I think it's also good to say that Pharaoh wasn't there going, no, but I, I want to be used by you, God. I, I want to be in relationship with you and, you, and you won't let me. No, no, it, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and God solidified that hardness. And you see this image through the scripture that if, you, if, if we as people keep hardening our heart against God, there comes a point in which God just keeps it so right? And that nobody in the life after this life who go to hell or apart from God forever are there against their own will. Nobody's pounding on the doors of hell going, God, but I wanted to love you. I wanted to be used by you. I wanted to be elected by you. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to worship you and you wouldn't let me. Nope, nobody's doing that. It's like C.S. Lewis says, hell's, hell's doors are locked from the inside. Um, and so it's a giving over, you know, like in Romans where we're told that he handed them over to their evil desires. It's a handing over. Pharaoh had a hard heart. God's like, go at it, buddy. Here's your hard heart. And here's the fullness of it, which should warn us. It, it should warn us that there's, there are moments where we see in the scripture where there was no coming back from their hardness of heart. They wanted so much to rebel against God. God handed them over to the rebellion. And, um, and, and because it's a grace of God that we would ever come to him, right? So if you heed the call of God, listen, listen and give your life, give your life, give your heart um, because you don't want to be caught in hardness. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, I'm trying to process this second question. Is God not responsible for evil? Um, I'm looking back through the Bible. The ancients didn't have a problem with this. They, the ancient didn't have a problem with God bringing disaster uh, because they knew where they stood um, in relationship with God. If God if God is truly God and he's in control over all things and evil things happen in this world, they didn't have a problem with God being the cause of that because they also knew that God was the cause of all the goodness that happened in their lives too. And so you, you take you take what you get from God. Like he's if he's in control, then he's in control of all things. Um, does God lead us into evil? I don't think so. I think we fully participate in it with joy sometimes. We go headlong into evil a lot of the times. Um, but God is also good in that he, he rescues us from the evil that we place ourselves in. And so is God responsible for it? 
I mean, to an extent, but does that change the fact that God loves you and that God has sent his son for you? Absolutely not. And so the, the ancients, I don't feel like, had, a, had an issue with this, with God being, because he's in control of all things, that he's, he's the source of both. That's good. All right, right on. Next question. Since God is unchanging, why do we not see miracles like we did in the Bible happening anymore? For instance, laying hands and seeing a leper healed. I know God does miracles every day, but it would be so encouraging to see the blind see and the dead raised. Yes, yes, it would be. Here, here's the reason why. Because when um, every service after um, pastors are up here and no one comes up, <laughs> there you go. Uh, so take that. <laughs> so ask, ask us a question. <laughs> so so come up, come up and ask ask for your ailments to be healed by God. Come up for your anxieties to be healed by God, your broken hearts, um, cancer, like whatever it is. Let's ask and plead that the Lord would be gracious because um, as, a, as a church, we believe fully that miracles do happen today, that's right. um, but we must ask. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so after, after you, uh, another answer I would give um, <laughs> is, uh, you know, um, I've, I've I believe sometimes it's about um, sometimes it's about just knowing what God's doing in other people's lives. That's a great thing about being a church. Part of it is we just don't share those stories all the time, and we don't you know we don't testify, right? Uh, but you know my you know my uh, I believe wholeheartedly. There's no doubt. My wife was told she had cancer in two years to live in October, and when they pulled that tumor out, the doctor said these are this is the craziest cells. The, they are cancer cells, but the cancer's not turned on. And it's like, well, I know who turns on and off cancer, right? And, uh, and so part, part of this is like we're living it. Now, now, we also have to have a good framework for a miracle. Miracle, by definition, means not, not like a typical thing, right? It's, it's a thing God does. And so God, I, I believe, healed Christy in October, and now we're in another completely different health thing. And do we believe God's going to heal? Yes. We're not, we're not like, well, God, if you don't heal, you don't love Right, miracle by definition is these um, these extreme moments where God supersedes kind of um, physics and natural law and those kind of things. Right, so we praise God for it. He does it. Now, part of the miracle, though, and why we need to see why maybe there's more of it in the New Testament when Jesus arrives on the scene than we'd see in our everyday life here is one is miracles are necessary where common grace isn't. Okay, and um, and Shay spoke to this in the last service. But the idea of like, you know, it's a miracle, Tylenol and Advil. Um, those are miracles, right? There's, sure there's right there. What? Sure enough. Sure enough. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, like essential oils, that's a miracle. No, probably not. And uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, if the devil did miracles, essential oils. And uh, just joking. Just joking. <laughs> Uh, no, so the idea, the idea is there's common grace. Well, in, in, in places and countries where there isn't that kind of common grace, there's the necessity for miracles. That's one. Two, uh, where there's um, testimony for the gospel, 
When Jesus' miracles happened in the New Testament, it was to inaugurate a new kingdom. And in that kingdom comes ultimate healing. You know what's greater than a, than, a, than a man seen? A dead spiritual soul come alive. That's the way the Bible talks about it. And, the, and I'll tell you this, because when, when the guy was lowered through the roof and Jesus, um, first he forgave his sins, and they're like, you can't forgive sins. And he goes, so that you know that the Son of Man can forgive sins, pick up your mat and walk. And the point was, is to see the miracle so that you would have confidence God can forgive sins. But what we want is like, God, you forgive my sins. That's cool. But I really want you to do a miracle. And we reverse the purpose of the inaugurating miracles of Christ so that we would know that we can be forgiven. That's what Herod was after. That's what Herod was like. Show, show me a miracle. Show me, and yeah. And I believe. That's right. Um, and Christ says, no, it's believe. And that's right. Miracle. Right. So, cool. Next question. We'll have a couple more. Should Christians picket abortion clinics or boycott gay bakeries? Uh, do Christians need to protect God's sovereignty? All right. A good, it's a good question. Should we picket abortion clinics and boycott gay bakeries? Do Christians need to protect God's sovereignty? Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of answer the first one by not answering that one. Um, because I, I would say picketing, if, if we're doing like a protest thing, it might not be helpful or boycotting. So those, those are, I'm going to go into like a gray, gray area of preference for the individual Christian, whether that would be something that God is calling you to do. I don't think we can stand from the stage and command or um, command you to do these things or command you not to do these things as well. Um, this is like something where through scripture, through your maturity, through being led by the spirit, um, you're going to have to make some of those decisions on your own, um, with pastor's help, like, come, let's pray, let's talk about these things. Um, but I can't, I don't, I'm not willing to give an overall answer of yes or no on those. Because sometimes, sometimes I would think yes, appropriate. And other times I would say no, not appropriate. They, they almost seem to be uh, two questions that go in the opposite direction. One is about um, what offends us. The other one is, is kind of a weird, like, do we need to be God over God? God, God protects us. Why do we need to protect God's sovereignty if, if God is the one who's protecting us? It's like, it's like a weird, I don't know. Um, do we need to... Um, has, has God placed us within culture uh, to point culture toward Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do you do that by picketing? Uh, I've seen people picketing, and there's, there's not a lot of Christ. There's his name, uh, but there's not a lot of uh, your sins have been forgiven. Uh, come to Christ because he loves you. There, there, there's not a lot of that. And so anything that doesn't point to Christ is pointing away from Christ. And so uh, you, you do have to wrestle with that. Are there certain things in culture, especially as election season is coming up, there's going to be certain things in culture that we are going to have to take a stand on. We can't, we can't stand neutral in this world because if, if, God, uh, if God didn't want us to display his glory in culture, he'd have just taken us home when he saved us. And so God has left us here uh, for the most part intentionally for us to be the church, 
for the sake of the world. Saints, once the church is removed, there's no hope for people to see who Christ is. And so while, while we're here and while we're the church and, and while we're interchanging with culture, exchanging with culture, we do have to represent Christ um, in that. There may be someone uh, at an abortion clinic who is really struggling with their decision, and they need to know that Christ loved them. More than picketing, maybe you need to go inside and, and tell them how much Christ loved them. There's going to be gay bakeries. There, there's going to be homosexuals in a gay bakery that need to know uh, that God sees their definition of what love is, but he has a greater one. And, and you want them to know that definition of love. I feel like we, we stand outside. Some people stand outside with their pickets as a way to separate themselves from the world. When Christ says, no, I want, I want the world to come to know who I am. And so there's a relational aspect that I think we need to enter into more uh, that, this, that that kind of stuff kind of blocks. Uh, but like Tyler said, like if it's, if it's on your conscience to go and pick it, and that's what you feel like God is leading you to. I also don't want to say like everyone that has holding signs up outside an abortion clinic is picketing. They're actually some of them are actually trying to engage ladies as they're going in. And there's been ministries across the country that see babies getting saved um, through that. So there is something there. Uh, that's why I don't want to make a, uh, just a you know cookie cutter statement on that. It's that's a messy situation. But I think as Christians, like no, we want to see all abortions end, right? That's yeah. We're all good with that one. Uh, and we don't want to see it happen in our city. Yeah? <laughs> and so, like, there, there's, there's ways to, um, at, in America, to um, use our, our, democra- our democratic um, system to write public officials, to go to city council meetings, and then, yeah, I think... Maybe run for legislature. Run for, yeah, you should. Yeah, we should support Christian candidates for sure, like real Christian candidates. And then, <laughs> uh, but that's something we should see. But yeah, let's let's talk about that kind of stuff. But no, God, we don't need to protect God's sovereignty either. Like, I've, you just let Him be who He is, and He does the work. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, f- I feel this one is weighty. This is a weighty one. Um, and I think that I. Some thoughts on the second one, I think, about protecting God's sovereignty. That would be like if somebody breaks in the middle of the night, my son, my third-year-old, wakes up to defend the family. I, I, need, I, need, I need my son to tell the world that, um, you know, my dad protects the family. But I don't, need him to, I don't need him to protect my power and strength, right? Like, that's up to me. And, the way like, when you're me, trying to protect or push me I out of the way he is six one so maybe he should you know uh he's like he's like dad i got this yeah but i think for christians i think um here, here's the thing and i think it, it these are connected god is a big boy and uh and god can god can defend himself i don't i don't find it necessary I think I don't, I don't want to say things and make it offensive or make God kind of an offense to people. I want to be very careful how we say things, but not so careful that we make him more palatable because then we, then we you know, like I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. Um, and it goes back to the other question too. Deuteronomy, we're told that God kills and God heals. God destroys and God makes alive. That's a, that's a, he says that. And we're like, well, God doesn't really kill. That's what he says. Now, that's not separate 
from all of his attributes, but God has that authority and ability. And none of us are owed anything by God. God can destroy us and he would do us no wrong because he is infinitely valuable and we are infinitely rebellious. So the, so the idea that I'm going to wrestle God's morality based on what he does in my life is, um, that, that's not a good position to be in. Um, I'm not going to, I don't need to defend, I want to make sense of him and I don't want to be offensive. I'm not, I don't think God's looking at us to, to do what he can only do. But he is asking for us to tell the world about it because the world needs to know he's sovereign and we're not. To the first two, I think um, I, I have some thoughts on this, and I do think there is a sense of personal conviction. The Bible says if, if it's a conscious issue that it's a sin, it's a sin. So I don't want to tread on that. But I do want to evaluate uh, why we would feel like that's a sin. I think there's a sense where, the, let me deal with the, the gay bakery. Um, Paul says it's not those outside the world we judge, it's those in the church. Okay, so if I, if I apply Paul's logic, it's not that we should avoid buying cookies from somebody who is gay. They might make really great cookies, um, and I'm a big fan. Um, so we don't, we don't have to avoid that because they're not inside the church. Now, I think that if it was a baker and they said, I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and I'm following the Bible but I disregard what the Bible says about homosexuality, then we have a completely different issue because they're, they're holding up the name of Christ, uh, but they're not holding up the Bible, right? So that's a, that's a different issue. But that has nothing to do with being gay. That could be anybody, right? Because if, if you're saying, I'm a Christian, but your life is the things of the world, we got to come alongside and go, hey, sister, brother, that doesn't look like Jesus, and that's called church discipline, Right? And we begin to separate ourselves so that they would know not to defame the name of God. That's how Paul says it. That has nothing to do with being gay. And I think that we, we got we to think, okay, what does it look like just to be in the real? I mean, if you apply this logic, then you can't shop at Walmart. You can't shop at Target. You can't shop at Amazon because none of them know Jesus. And the issue is not whether or not they're gay. The issue is, is do they have faith in Christ? Everything apart from faith is a sin. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If it's apart from faith, it's a sin. So if you're worshiping God without faith, should we boycott you? No. So anyway, uh, I might have some thoughts on it. The, the, the top one. I mean, it's not like contagious, so, uh, but the top one. Picket, picket abortion. I think, I, don't, I think the word picket is the problem. Um, here's what I would say. I would say... Um, Christianity in general, we've, we've, put, we've put such a bad stigma upon Christians who are so convicted to be public about what they believe that we, that we treat them really poorly in the church like, like, um, like they're odd. Um, I think there's people that really, really love the unborn and they really, really love the women who find themselves in such a place that they would make those kind of decisions. And they're not picketing... Um, but man, they just want to stand there and say, Jesus loves, and there's another way. And I think sometimes, here's what I would say about this, is I think the church has taken a very shy approach to abortion, and, um, and we're not carrying enough. I don't think we should pick it. I think it's the word, but pray, use our leverage, um, be a part of the community in a way that can be helpful. And some of us feel convicted that we should be outside 
front and center. And those are, those are baby lives that are being destroyed every single day. And the church is like, well, we, we probably shouldn't interrupt that. I have a problem with that. I have a major problem with that. Um, I, I don't think we should. Um, I, I think if we do anything without love, it's just a gong. I think that uh, if we do it in a way that's not above reproach, then we don't do anything for the name of Jesus. Uh, Romans 12 says, live in harmony with all people so far as it's up to you. So what does it look like to stand against great sin but be in harmony with people? I think those are the challenges. And um, so I think we apply the scripture to that end. So, Like the should is where I'm, like, I'm not willing to say should or should not. Right, yeah. Could or could not, yeah. Yeah. Or uh, how? How, yeah. Because yeah. we got to remember John, John Piper was arrested for protesting outside abortion clinics. That's right. So like a guy that we all love <laughs> went to jail for it. So we, gotta, we can't just say no. Right. Shouldn't do it. And that's yeah. not just these two issues. That's, right. That's any issue where you find yourself like, I just want to stand against the world. It's, it becomes the how. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, um, we're going to have to stop it there um, for time-wise. I know, we're just getting rolling. All right. Um, here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead us into a time of communion. Thank you for the questions. Thank you um, for sending those up. I hope they're helpful, and we want to make ourselves available after because obviously you can't hit every nuance. And if there's anything where you're walking away going, do they really mean this particular thing? Don't just walk away. Um, invite us in. We want to talk about that because um, we want to make sure that um, that you know, that you, you have our heart and you know our desire. And if you're like, I don't know if that's biblical or whatever, then let us show you in the Bible.